This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now enjoy today's message with Shay Robbins. Today we're going to open up the message uh, by reading Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through I think it's 18 or 19 and we're just going to go and start with the text that we've been talking about and we'll continue to talk about in the weeks to come. And before we do that, I just want to invite you. I'd love to pray uh, before we get into God's word. So let's do that together. Father, we just come to you and I just want to pause for a second and invite you, Lord, to speak to each one of us individually. I know we're each walking into this place, uh, coming from a different set of circumstances and perhaps needing to hear something specific this morning. And I pray by the power of your spirit that you would do that, that you would speak directly into our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's read it together. Uh, Ephesians 6.10, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. Say, take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Say it with me. Stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, say it with me, stand firm. Then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. As you can tell today, we're talking about footwear and uh, a couple of weeks ago, some buddies and I, we went out to Colorado and uh, is a kind of a bonding trip. And one of the things that's kind of been on my bucket list I've always wanted to do was to climb a 14,000 foot mountain in Colorado. They call them 14ers. And, uh, and so we decided that we were going to do that before we went. And, you know, on the way out, we're having to decide, well, what do I need to pack? What do I need to wear? Because I've been out to Colorado in September in the past and the peaks of those mountains have been covered with two feet of snow. And so you really need to think through what is it that's going to be required to successfully climb this mountain. And so when you get out there, for me, there's a handful of things that I'm processing. First of all, one of the challenges of climbing a 14er is altitude. And especially a guy coming from the Midwest, I think specifically with me, I really struggle getting over altitude sickness. I just struggle with the oxygen deprivation and the difference. And so even in the condo running up the stairs, I can get the top of the stairs, my head's spinning. I'm thinking, how in the world am I going to climb a mountain when I feel this crummy? Uh, Another thing is you got to think through timing. 
When you climb a 14er, specifically in Colorado, um, they are infamous for early afternoon storms that come out of nowhere. And so you got to take off early. So generally, you'll start climbing in the wee hours of the morning. You'll get to the top as fast as you can. You'll take your pictures, enjoy uh, the, the peak, and then you make your way down because a lot of times a storm will blow over the top of that mountain after lunchtime and people find themselves in dangerous situations. In fact, lightning is lightning strikes is one of the most common threats when you're climbing a mountain like that. And believe it or not, I have a friend who lives in Branson who got struck by lightning climbing one of these. Now, uh, she has to work extra hard to comb her hair in the morning, but she is, she's as normal as far as I can tell. Uh, and then another thing is like, how do I dress? Because September can be hot in Colorado and September can be absolutely freezing as you climb into, into the high altitude. And so we're processing all these things and we set out to climb Quandary Peak. Quandary Peak is, a, as I said, a 14,000-foot mountain. It's one of the easier climbs in Colorado. But the climb itself is about six and a half miles up to the, the peak of the mountain and then six and a half miles back. So you're looking at about uh, half marathons worth of distance. And, of course, you're ascending thousands of feet. And then you're also dealing with altitude and you're also dealing with pretty intense terrain. And so we set out that morning. It was super exciting. And as we take off, the elevation change starts kind of mild. You're in the woods and there's squirrels and birds and, you know, everything's looking up. And when you come up out of the tree line and you get above the trees, it is, it's a whole different world. The wind is blowing. The, the trail and the path is sometimes hard to even see. And for us, we, we walked for miles through what was just like these boulder fields. Half the time you were scrambling with your hands, you know, on the rocks, climbing up over these. And I'm telling you, the altitude whooped my rear. I mean, there was points where like I was just borderline managing passing out. And so you, you would stop and kind of catch your breath. And it was interesting. In about 30 seconds, you could bounce back and feel really good. And then in a matter of three steps, your, you know, your body is screaming for oxygen again. I mean, just muscles searing. And so we kept charging. We charged up the mountain and, and sure enough, we made it to the peak on the way. We met, uh, met some new friends here. These goats are looking at, they're like, what are you doing up here? And, uh, no joke. We took that with our own camera. They're just kind of standing there looking at all these dummies. And then, uh, at the top of the peak, we got a picture with the guys there and, uh, obviously an awesome moment. As you can see, I'm, I'm wearing some strangely short shorts, uh, on top of that mountain. But you know what I say? When the sky's out, the thighs are out. Let them breathe. <laughs> That's right. Um, so I, you know, as I mentioned, you know, we're talking about footwear and as you look at, look at my little closet here, as I'm make, you know, making the decision to climb a mountain like that, coming back down, I was thinking to myself, if you didn't have the right footwear, you would be in a pile of trouble. I mean, if you wore cowboy boots, you would break your ankles. If you wore these, I don't know why we wear these. They're so stupid. I put them on, they hurt my feet. Um, you know, if you wore these, you'd be in huge trouble. You wouldn't want to wear your Chuck Taylors or your Converse. And you surely wouldn't want to be wearing flip-flops. 
um, we were even processing, you know, how would you, you know, if somebody rolled an ankle or got hurt or broke a leg, just getting them down out of the boulder field would be a nightmare. Um, and so I chose these Merrells. It was the right choice. And uh, we got up and down that mountain um, and, and really got to celebrate an awesome victory, having done it together. So making the transition, thinking about our spiritual life, we've been talking about the context of, of the life that you guys are walking about in every day. And Paul says that you're engaged in a spiritual battle, that we live in a broken, a broken shell of this earth, and, and it is even growing more so broken with every day that passes. And he, he makes a statement, you, you need to have the right footwear. And here's the way he framed it up. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. There's a couple words that stick out to me in this phrase. The first one is feet fitted. When we were climbing that mountain, even if you had the right shoe, if it was too small or too big, you'd be compromised. And so it is in the faith. He's, he's making this analogy. You need to have the right footwear and it needs to fit. You need to be able to stand firm, hold your ground and to move through adversity. Another thing that pops out to me is the word readiness. And, and for me, as I study this, readiness happens to be the focal point of this statement. He goes on to say the gospel of peace and he qualified the gospel. Say so there's a lot of, of qualities that we can assign to the gospel. It is freeing, it is saving, it is forgiving, it is loving. But in this particular passage, in the context of battle, Paul specifically draws out the characteristic of the gospel that is peace. A peace that surpasses all understanding. And when I circle back to that idea of readiness, I understand it, it's super important. Not just that you've experienced the gospel, but you're ready to put it to work. You're ready to apply it to your life. So I was thinking about a, a memory came to me. It was actually, I think it's one of my earliest childhood memories. And it came to me as I was processing this whole concept from the gospel of peace. And I need to talk with my parents, but I'm thinking I was three to four years old. I know I was younger than five. And this memory was, um, we lived in this little farmhouse in Illinois out in the middle of the cornfields. And my parents had just experienced the loss of a dear friend. She had committed suicide. And I was home with mom and dad was off at work farming. And we were up in her bed upstairs in this little farmhouse and she was crying. She was upset over the loss of her friend. And I was in bed with her and, and my heart, my spirit was panicked. Like I was just, I was scared to death. And I, I can still remember that. I'm 40 years old now. I can remember that feeling. And... 
as I'm like gripped in fear, the next memory I have is my dad walking up the stairs and he walks into the room and I remember my feeling changing. As soon as I saw dad, I knew that everything was going to be okay. This peace just came over my heart. And oh, by the way, my mom has been a hero in my life a thousand times over. It just so happens that dad played the, the role of the hero in this story. But when he walked in the room, peace came over the room. Now, did that change the circumstances that were happening at that time? No. We're still dealing with loss. There were still tears. It was still gut-wrenching. It was still sad. But because dad was there, my spirit as a little boy was at peace. And so it is when the gospel comes into your life and you're, you fit it to your feet and you stand ready and the gospel of, the, of peace is firming you up in the difficult circumstances of your life. So my question for you is, are you ready? I think that there's two mindsets that, that, come, to, uh, that come to my mind as I process through, you know, a spiritual battle that I've been in. And, and, and one of which that, that I've been, is probably dominated way too much of my life. And I want to frame it up with, with Peter's story from the scripture. But the first passage or the first mindset that I want to look at, John records it. And here's kind of the background. The background is it's Holy Week. The disciples are in the upper room. It's Thursday night on the eve of Jesus being arrested in the garden. And so they're at the final meal. Jesus washes the disciples' feet and then he begins to teach them and help them understand what's about to happen. He says that, that I must be betrayed that I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. But don't be afraid. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who's going to support you and give you strength. It's better that I should go so that the Holy Spirit could come. And Peter, being zealous and, and having a dear relationship with Jesus, he pipes up and these are his words. He said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will later. He's foreshadowing Peter's death. That, uh, as you guys know, Peter was, uh, according to uh, Christian history, church history, he was crucified upside down. But Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus replied, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. As you know, when Jesus was taken, the disciples, they scattered. And as Jesus was swept away, Peter followed from a distance. And according to the scripture, on three different occasions, people identified him as one having been with Jesus. And each time that they identified him as a follower of Jesus, in a panic... Filled with fear, Peter denied, I don't know this man. I've never seen him before. 
And the third time that he denied Jesus, just as Jesus had said, the rooster crowed and Peter's heart was broken. You see, this mindset is when we feel like things are falling apart. That's the assignment that we give. Woe is me. Oh no, what is happening? Things are falling, falling apart. And when we have that mindset, the feelings and emotions that follow is that we're caught off guard. We're fearful, we're anxious, we're panicked, and we begin self-preserving ourselves. It's a mindset that has you on your heels. Well, here's the other alternative. And I fast forward in Peter's story. Uh, So Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus died, and after three days, he was resurrected And he spent about 40 days appearing to the disciples and and proving to them that he was in fact the Messiah and and proving to them that he was victorious over death. And in the third encounter that Peter had with Jesus, Peter and the guys were out fishing and and they see Jesus standing on the shoreline. He's, He's preparing some fish and some bread for breakfast and the guys come in and they eat breakfast with Jesus. And then Jesus grabs Peter and he pulls him off to the side. And he asked Peter a question three times. He said, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. And feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then tend my sheep. Third time, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then tend to my sheep. In that moment, Peter was restored. Jesus picked him up, put him back on his feet. And a short time later, the disciples, they were gathered in Jerusalem for another Holy Week is the week of Pentecost. They were up in the upper room. They were praying again. And at this time, the Holy Spirit, while they're in the midst of prayer, it fell on them like tongues of fire. And the disciples began to speak in other languages. During this Holy Week, travelers from all countries, Jews, they come in And they begin to hear these men speaking in their language. They say, how can it be that these men from Galilee know our language? Some were amazed and filled with wonder, while still others said, oh, they're just a bunch of drunks. They've been up drinking all night. At which Peter takes his stand, and here's where we pick up our story. And they all continued in amazement, in great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were jeering and saying, they are full of sweet wine. But Peter, taking his stand with the other 11, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, know this and pay attention to my words. And Peter took his stand and he preached the gospel. And on that day, 3,000 souls were added to the kingdom. Here's the difference in Peter's mindset. He went from things are falling apart to things are falling into place. You know, God gave us the Old Testament so that we know where we come from. He gave us the New Testament that we understand where we are going. And in the end, he gave us revelation so that we know how the bow ties around the end and we can have hope with clarity. And when, when 
you change your mindset to things falling into place. You understand Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about the end of times that's coming soon. And he said that, that tribulation and famine and wars and nations rising up against nation, that, that it will pick up like birth pains, like contractions. A dad of six kids, I know how this works. The contractions come and, and they hurt, but they, they increase in severity and in proximi- uh, proximity to one another until all of a sudden a child is born and a great gift is given to the world. And that is the course that we're on as believers. And when we know that, we rest in it, we stand upon it, we say things are falling into place. I'm not surprised. When this is your mindset, the feelings, emotions, and actions that come out of you is that you're prepared, you're peaceful, you're clear-minded, you're unwavering, and you're purposeful. And you see the difference in Peter's life. This summer, uh, Ted preached on a house that was built on two different foundations. One house was built on sand and another was built on the rock. That house that was built on sand, when the wind and the storms came and they burst against the house, great was its destruction. And so it will be for any of us who stand on anything but the gospel. If you stand on your financial security, if you stand on your, uh, uh, how people view you in your life, if you stand on relationships, your boyfriend or your girlfriend, all of those things will inevitably let you down. Because they are not God and they will fail if you put them in that place. You see, I believe that there's too many believers that are wearing flip-flops in a sword fight. And oh, by the way, these are the stupid flip-flops with the bottle cap opener in the bottom. Like, really? These are the same dummies that walk in the truck stop, they use the truck stop restroom, they get a six-pack, they get in their pickup, and then they pop one. That's gross. And oh, by the way, these are not mine. They're Matt Gums, literally. <laughs> this guy. So when we go into our battle, here's the analogy that we need to look to. So Paul, like all other Jews under Roman occupation, they're painfully familiar with the strength, the power, and, and the way that the Romans wear their armor. And specifically, their footwear was super important for Roman soldier because they're on conquest. They're marching across hundreds of miles and picking fights. And, and uh, these are actually called caligae. Caligae is what they're called. This Roman sandal. And the way that it was designed is the leather that went around the foot and the ankle. It was soft and pliable. That way it could be fitted to the soldier's foot. The bottom piece of leather was extremely durable and tough. And then they hobnailed, it was almost like cleats, through the bottom so that they could, uh, so that when they took their stand or they stood their ground, they could grip the ground. Uh, Many of you guys have probably seen the tortoise or pictures of the tortoise or movies when the Roman soldiers, they would lock their shields, they would dig in their ground and they would hold their ground. And Paul's using this illustration This is the way that that the 
the man or woman of God is to outfit their feet standing with readiness on the gospel of peace. So when you go into war, number one, it's wise to check your mindset. It's also good to know your enemy. So my question is, what is the enemy's mindset in regard to our footing? Here's a couple things that just came to mind and study. If I was the devil, I would knock you down and I would convince you that you are a failure and that you'll always be a failure. Y'all ever heard that circulate through your mind? You know, Ted started off this series by establishing that Satan is a liar. He's a deceiver. I tell my kids he's a trickster. He's trying to trick you into his hands. And one of the lies that he'll speak into the life of a believer is he'll minimize you. That when you make mistakes, and yes, you will, that he'll try to bury you, bury you in your own failures. But here's how we, st- uh, how we approach that. We take our stand. See, the gospel puts you back up on your feet. If there's anybody laying in the dust right now, the reason you're here is to hear this. The gospel will put you back up on your feet this morning. Your gospel restoration looks like this. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. That was the picture that we just had during baptism. The old way of life. It is dead to me now. I am alive in Christ. Behold, I'm a new creation and there's new life that is waiting for me. Here's another one. Philippians 3.14, this is Paul. He says, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, all who are mature, let's have this attitude. In other words, he's like, I'm forgetting what lies behind and I press on towards what's ahead. Here's another lie from the devil. If I was the devil, I'd convince you that the best you can do is to manage your sin. This is one of the greatest deceptions in all human history. And the lie is this, that victory in Jesus is this lofty, unattainable idea. That you can't experience true victory. That the best that you can have in this Christian life is just to manage your sin. To spread out your mistakes. To put a little bit more time behind you between the next time you fall. And that is not what the gospel preaches. And that's not why Jesus died. Here's what the scripture says. We stand our ground. The gospel empowers you to claim victory over sin, death, and the devil himself. John 8, Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my uh, word, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That word free in the Greek specifically means freedom from sin. Make no mistake about it. Then in 1 Corinthians 15, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be firm and movable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. And I'll also add this, James 4 It says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. I want to be oh so clear. 
that Satan is the greatest supervillain in all of human history. He is smarter than you. He is wiser than you. He is more powerful than you. But when you are in Christ, a six-year-old can take his or her stand and say, Satan, be gone. And guess what he'll do? He runs. That is the power of the gospel. And, and the Satan doesn't want you to lean into that and to stand upon it. And finally, if I was the devil, I'd cause you to doubt that God cares enough about you to help you in your insignificance. You're just one in eight billion. How could he really care? Deal with it on your own. The truth is, as we're charged to stand firm, the gospel gives you confidence when the enemy attacks. Your gospel identity is this. 1 Peter 2, 9, one of my favorite passages. I think about it all the time. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. I'm speaking this over this church right now. A holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You once had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's who you are in Christ. Stand firm in it. Let me close this way. Uh, This summer, I made a decision in my prayer life. I'm going to make a significant change. I have made a significant change in the way that I pray. Pray. The circumstances were, the summer caught me off guard. A summer of ministry um, came up against serious hardship. Another round of coronavirus, uh, multiple rounds of attacks, weariness, um, just frankly being worn down. But before this all played out, this early this spring, I was praying that God would take me on an adventure with him. Have you ever read a good book that doesn't have any hardship in it? I don't know of one. And I want adventure with God more than I want comfort. And so I'm done praying for blue skies. From here on out, I'm praying, Lord, help me to stand my ground. Help me to take my stand. Help me to stand firm. Help me to be unsurprised when the enemy pushes back. Peter said it this way. He said, beloved, don't be surprised by the fiery trial you find yourself in. We live in a broken world and it's going to come. But I pray that this body right here is no longer caught off guard. That each day we wake up and we strap on our sandals and we stand ready. And the gospel of peace is our foundation so that when the hardship comes, we'll stand our ground with a clear mind, with a clear purpose, ready. And so I charge you, don't get ready, stay ready.
Amen? Amen. All right. Hey, let's stand to our feet and pray together. I'm going to pray, and, and in advance, I'd just love to invite anybody who needs some prayer. I invite you to come down. We had a gal um, who grabbed Travis and I earlier today who um, has got some medical news. It's pretty scary, and on Tuesday, she finds out whether she has cancer or she doesn't. And I applaud her for her vulnerability because our church now can come around here and support her. And I just want to invite you, as you're walking through hardship, we want to get in the huddle with you. Come see our prayer team when we're done. We'd love to process life and and see how we can support you and pray for you. Um, That said, let's pray together. Father, we come to you. um, We've got happy hearts for all of those that, have chose to be baptized today, make a public profession of their faith. We rejoice with them, God, and we pray strength underneath them. I want to pray, God, that that this body of Christ would stand more firmly in the gospel of peace walking out of here than when we walked in. I want to pray that we wouldn't be caught off guard, Lord, that, but that we would stand firm. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.